Our, our text tonight will be 1 Kings 18, 41 through 48, 46. And then also uh, James in the New Testament, James chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. First Kings chapter 1, verses 41 through 40, I'm sorry, chapter 18, verses 41 through 46, James 5, 16 through 18. Hear the word of God. And Elijah said to Ahab, go up and eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink. Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. He bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. He said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. He went up and he looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again, seven times. At the seventh time, he said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. He said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. In a little while, the heaven grew black with clouds and wind. And there was great, a great rain. Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. The hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he gathered up his garment, and he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Now James chapter 5, 16b through 18. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. For three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So ends reading God's word. Let us pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, as you have given us this word concerning Elijah's prayer ministry as a prophet, we ask, O oh Lord, that you would uh, speak to us and enable us by the grace of your Holy Spirit to hear your word. We ask your blessing through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. At the in the earlier section of 1 Kings chapter 18, we saw that the prophets of Baal had been uh, judicially sentenced to death and had been slain at the brook Kishon. Elijah sent Ahab to eat and drink, and Ahab did so. Uh, that's the first part of uh, what we have read tonight, that Elijah gives Ahab the command to go and eat and drink. He did so. But Ahab was able to eat and drink after 
uh, such an event as the slaughter of his uh, prophets of Baal uh, says a great deal. But Elijah's mind was directed in another direction. Elijah was intent on getting himself back up the mountain because he had one thing that he needed to do. He needed to pray. And uh, so it is that each of us as well who are here this evening uh, are those who have trusted in Christ and professed faith in Christ and uh, have experienced something of what it means to pray. It is to hear God make promises to us and then to take God at his word and to respond in prayer. And everyone who is a Christian grows in his life relationship with God in his ability or her ability to commune with God in prayer. And uh, I would like for us to spend most of our time this evening looking at this passage that we have of the account of Elijah in prayer to see what it might be that the Lord would have us to learn that we might grow in our capacity to pray to the living God, the God who made the heavens and the earth, and the God who answers prayer. As James says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. I wonder if we really believe that, that prayer has effective power and that God uses it in carrying out his purposes. In verse 42 of our text, Elijah is described as being in prayer. The writer of Kings doesn't tell us the words that he prayed. It merely describes him in his physical posture. It describes him as he is bowed, he is bowed to the earth and his face between his knees. The Apostle James presents Elijah in prayer as an example of one whose prayers have power. When Elijah prayed, great power went out from the Lord. James tells us that Elijah prayed fervently that it might not rain. For three years and six months, it didn't rain on the earth. James continues to tell us that Elijah prayed again after the three, three and a half years that went by, that it would rain and God sent rain and the earth once again bore its fruit. Now try to imagine that experience of the people of Israel at this time. There was severe lack of moisture. There had been no rain. 
no do. A complete uh, drying up of the land and the fruitfulness of the land. And yet, we're told by James that Elijah prayed and the rain came and the earth bore its fruit. Other examples of Elijah praying uh, can be mentioned as well. Elijah prayed for the life of the son of the widow of Zarephath, chapter 17. You remember that the life of that child came into him again. Amazing answer to Elijah's prayer. You've seen Elijah praying at the top of Mount Carmel for fire to come down from heaven and to consume the sacrifice on the altar. The fire of heaven came down, consumed not only the sacrifice, but the altar and the stones and the water that had been poured on it. Elijah prayed, and the Lord answered his prayer. I always think whenever I consider the subject of prayer, of the definition that's given uh, by the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is one that, one of those definitions that it is helpful for us to memorize. Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. Prayer is the offering up of our desires unto God. In the passage that we read from Matthew this evening spoke about the danger of anxiety, and that is overly desiring the things such as clothing uh, and food and the things of this life. And Jesus there says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, that is, desire that most of all, and all these other things will be added to you. Elijah was a man who had a desire for the glory of God to be shown to the people of Israel. He was completely and totally given to the work of seeing God turn the hearts of the people of Israel back to himself and to see again a, a, a renewal a renewal of faith in Israel, in the living God. That was his desire. And I wonder what you would say your desires are. What is the object that you are directed to as you think and you go through your daily life? Is it for the sake of the kingdom of God are we directed to the things that God would have us be directed to? So I'd like to note um, several things about Elijah's prayer, uh, six things altogether. Uh, and we want to start by saying that the, the basic, I think, lesson of this text is this, that the prayers of God's people have great power. The prayers of God's people have great power. First thing I'd like to notice about Elijah's praying is that he prayed alone. He did have his servant with him, but he went to a certain place 
He was intent on getting to that place. As Ahab went off to eat and drink, Elijah goes to pray. And it is true about our lives, is it? Is it not that there is an alternation between that which we do in public and can be seen by others and that which we do alone? And it is that which is done when we are alone with God that is the source of the power that we will have as we interact publicly in our daily lives with others. And the first thing that Jesus teaches about prayer is that it is to be, that we are to go into our closets and pray. So Elijah here goes to a place where he will not be distracted. Distraction is the great problem, isn't it? Uh, It's uh, when we uh, set out in our minds and our purpose to get alone with God. How many things come flooding at you? Your visual world uh, has something to do with that. The things that you see, the things that uh, uh, you are reminded of, all of these things that distract and to keep us from that single-minded focus upon fellowship with God. So Elijah, when he goes to pray, he goes to pray alone. He drew near and he prayed that the glory of God might be seen in the provision of the great blessing of rain for the people. What Elijah did as he prayed alone was the source of his power as he ministered publicly. You remember, Elijah was a man of boldness. He was a man of fervency and boldness. He stood before the king of Israel and said uh, that, that he is a man who stands in the very presence of God as he stands before Ahab. And he refers to that. And, and uh, it was true of Elijah that he had this overwhelming sense of being in the presence of God before Ahab and as he did ministry. I wonder if one of the ways that we can increase a sense of being in God's presence when we are going about our daily lives and the very, the very many chores that we do, one of the things that, that we need to be praying is that God's presence will go with us. And not only his presence, but that his, uh, uh, an awareness on our part of his presence that he is near to us. And I think that's uh, the first thing we know, that uh, this, what uh, Elijah prays when he is alone is the source. It's, it's, it's the fountain of, of what he carries with him as he goes about his activity. The second thing we notice is the humility of Elijah. Elijah prayed humbly. You notice this because of the posture of Elijah. Uh, the text tells us that uh, Elijah uh, bowed himself down, verse 42, and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. I have always, uh, uh, I don't think that 
we necessarily need to take from this, that there is, that this is the posture uh, ordained that we should always pray in this posture. But the posture, nevertheless, expresses something of that which was inside Elijah, that Elijah felt himself to be a man, a sinner before God. And he prayed in such a way that his uh, physical posture was, was engaged in his inner, his inner attitude, uh, 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 determined his physical posture. Uh, you know this from your own experience in terms of how you interact with people. You know when someone is leaning forward to hear every word you're saying. You know when you are uh, engaged in uh, talking with someone if their eyes are darting in various directions or if they're really listening. Our physical demeanor says something about what is going on in our minds. And Elijah here closes his eyes, bows down to the earth because he knows himself to be intent on one thing, that is communion with the living God. And whatever posture it takes for you, whether it is kneeling by your bedside, whether it's leaning over the word that is spread out before you on a table, whatever it is, let your heart express itself in your physical demeanor toward God, that God in heaven is the object of your attention. And it is obvious that Elijah's posture here expresses that. And it expresses this truth, that when Elijah, remember that James says that he was a man with a nature like ours. And James does that on purpose. He was a man who, who God used mightily. And it's always our temptation when we read about such ones in the Bible that we think of them as being in such a category that is separate to us, from us, and not anything near to what we could ever be. But James here wants those who he is writing to to see Elijah as one like them. He says he has a nature like yours, and yet God used his prayer. And when he prayed in this way and in this posture, what is it that is going on? He sees himself as a poor sinner. He sees himself as a sinner before God. And he is seeking the very mercy of God toward him. Uh, the, the James also says of uh, Elijah that he was a righteous man. And uh, that righteousness that Elijah has, uh, when we hear that, that we, we again, it's, 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 our first reaction is to say, we are not. And yet, if you are in Christ, you are. You are. Elijah was a righteous person, and the prayers of a righteous person have power. And Elijah illustrates the fact that a righteous person is not a sinless person, a righteous person is a sinner, is not a sinner who has somehow pulled themselves up and perfected themselves, but a righteous person is one who comes to God 
in absolute humility before God and receives that which God has provided for him. That is a sacrifice for sin, as we heard this morning. And we receive humbly and we take from God humbly that which he has given to us, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the door. He is the way that we can enter humbly into the presence of Christ. It is his death on the cross that is the offering by which we come to God. Uh, Elijah, remember, had just offered the sacrifice of a bull on the altar that the Lord had consumed and graciously consumed for the sins of his people, typifying the one who would come later, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would die on the cross for the sins of his people. Elijah, no doubt, thinking of that sacrifice that had just taken place, comes bowed to the ground, receiving God's provision of a sacrifice that was made for his sins. We do the same. We come to God in humility, confessing that we are sinners in need of a sacrifice. We come to God in prayer on the basis of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross made for us. As the writer of Hebrews says, we have a great priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with true heart, with, with a true heart and full assurance of faith. We can come before God humbly and yet assured the assurance of faith that God has received a sacrifice for our sins. I think one of the great battles in prayer is the struggle with guilt, feelings of guilt for our sin. How do we deal with that? How do we deal with the fact that I'm not worthy? I'm not worthy to raise my voice to God or even to lift my face in his presence. How do we deal with that? This is how we deal with it. Come in faith, trusting that God has provided Jesus Christ for the payment for your sins. Therefore, come boldly. Come. The invitation is to you to come to the Lord boldly. Humbly, yet boldly. And ironic seems contradictory. It's not. The third thing I'd like to notice is that Elijah prayed fervently. James says he prayed fervently. And here, just to briefly say that to pray fervently is to pray sincerely with heart, affection, and mind engaged. It is to pray knowing that we are dealing with the one who is the living God who sees through us and knows us far better than we know ourselves. So how else can we come to him but sincerely and with full heart engaged, fervently? Sometimes this is a battle. Our hearts are constricted. And uh, sometimes we want to be fervent. We want to pray fervently. It's just not there. And uh, we are caught in this situation, much like the psalmist who prayed 
My soul clings to the dust. I feel myself just unable to rise to you, O living God. What's the best thing to do when you feel that way? Challenge. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life. Give me life according to your word. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge heart. God is the one that needs to enlarge our constricted, lifeless hearts. It is God who will do that. And he has promised to do it if you will ask him. Which leads me to this point, is number four. Elijah prayed for what had been promised. This is a revolutionary thing. It will be so helpful to you, I think, if this truth can um, penetrate into your mind and heart. In, verse, in chapter 18, verse 1, the, Lord, uh, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. God had already told Elijah what he was going to do. If it was you or me, we'd just wait for God to do it. He said he's going to do it. Now we just wait. But it wasn't that way. What happened? Well, Elijah had been given the word of God. He had been given a promise by God. And uh, that promise commissioned him to pray earnestly that that would come to pass. And that is a revolutionary idea if we can approach the promises of Scripture in that way. There are things the Bible has promised. And we're to pray those promises. This has to do with the direction of our prayers and anxiety over earthly things, right? So uh, God hasn't hasn't necessarily uh, told you, maybe you're looking for a car, You've got a choice between this car and that car and this one. And uh, you've got this amount of money. And it will only go so far. And what should I do? Should I go for the cheaper car? Should I go? And, and, and God doesn't speak to you from heaven and tell you what to do. God gives you wisdom. And uh, you pray for wisdom to make those decisions. Those are, that's, the, that's the clothes on your back and the food that you eat that Jesus refers to. Don't be anxious about those things. Know that God will provide them for you. He'll provide you all the things that you need. But he does say, direct your attention to heavenly things, to the kingdom of God. And about those things, we are to hear what God has promised concerning them and pray them. This is what Elijah does. He has a promise and he prays the promise. So, uh, Philip Ryken says, For Elijah, the promise of God did not make prayer unnecessary. It made it mandatory. For Elijah, the promise of God did not make prayer unnecessary. It made it mandatory. I love the saying of uh, St. Augustine, who says, that um, he says prayer 
um, words used in prayer are not intended for the instruction of God, but for the construction of our own desires. Not the instruction of God, but the construction of our own desires. What, what does that mean, constructing your own desires? To construct your desires is to direct your prayers in a certain direction. And that's how our inner life gets constructed. That's why the Lord gave the Lord's Prayer. He gave us those brief phrases in the Lord's Prayer for the construction of what it is that we're aiming at and thinking about, the things of the kingdom of God, not the things pertaining to everyday life that he's already promised to provide for us. And so what is the connection between the promise and its fulfillment? What comes between is the prayer for its fulfillment. And so uh, Ralph Davis makes this observation. He says, the prayers of the saints are God's appointed channel through which he works his will. God wills to send rain. He had announced that to Elijah. And he wills that his will come to pass through Elijah's prayer. And Elijah knew that. And we need to know that. Elijah knew that. That's why he went to pray. He knew that God had said that rain would come. And so he went to pray that God would send the rain There's a beautiful illustration of this in Ezekiel chapter 36. In Ezekiel chapter 36, it is one of the most beautiful uh, parts of the book of Ezekiel, referring to the many promises that God had made to Israel in exile of the things that he would do. In verses 24 through 36, and I'm not going to read that whole section, but again and again you hear these words, I am the Lord... I will take you from the nations and gather you. Verse uh, 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you. Verse 26, I will give you a new heart. Um, And uh, verse 28, you shall dwell in the land. And on and on this chapter goes, giving promise after promise to those Israelites in exile. But there's a very interesting thing to notice in this chapter When you get to verse 37 of chapter 36 of Ezekiel, verse 37 of chapter 36 of Ezekiel, this is what the word of God says. Thus says the Lord God, this also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them. To increase their people like a flock. This also... I will have the people ask that I would increase the flock. Well, what is that? All of the things that he had just promised. But what did he want the exiles to do? He wanted them to pray for the fulfillment of those promises. That was true, and it's a beautiful illustration of the place of prayer in the Christian's life. Pray the word of God. Pray the promises that God has given you. Psalm 2 gives us an illustration of the way that this was true for the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And he himself is a model and example of this. 
Jesus, before he was incarnated, was given a promise. He was given a promise that he would be given a people. And upon his glorification, upon his resurrection and glorification, he was invited by the Father to ask for what had been promised him. You know the verse. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. Why did he say that? Why did he say that to the Son? He made a promise to the Son. The Son fulfilled the condition. He laid his life down on the cross for his people. The Son is raised from the dead. He goes in glory to the Father. The Father says to the Son, Ask me. Ask me, and I will make the nations your your heritage. I think that God has had us do this. Pray in this way so that we will know that he is the one who is the giver of every good gift. He is the source, but he has ordained that we ask. And so the need for us to pray for Elijah, the promise, didn't make prayer unnecessary. It made the, the prayer a requirement. So that is a beautiful thing. And I think that is something that we, as believers, as we grow in the grace of prayer, I hope that you will learn. One other illustration, and just briefly, steal some of uh, Pastor Rob's thunder from the book of Revelation, chapter 22. At the end of the book, here you have a promise. Behold, I am coming soon. Jesus makes a promise. I am coming soon. And then we read, the Spirit and the Bride. Who's the Spirit? The Holy Spirit. Who's the Bride? The Church. The Spirit in the Bride causes the Bride to pray, Come. Come, Lord Jesus. Talk about the construction of desire. God wants your desire to be aimed coming and to desire his coming and to pray for his coming the spirit causes the bride to say come lord jesus fifth i want to know uh, and we'll try to do this briefly elijah prayed for the same thing repeatedly we notice that in the text that um elijah after getting on his knees He said to his servant, go now, look toward the sea. And he went up and he looked and he said, there is nothing. And he said, well, go again. And he did this seven times. And the seventh time he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. Interesting, isn't it? That God required Elijah to go and to look for the answer. Elijah asked his servant to go and see if there was any sign of rain coming. First time he says, no, nothing. Again, seven times. And so Elijah prayed repeatedly, intensely, and repeatedly for the same thing. Some of you have been praying that way for 
people whom you love dearly. You pray again and again and again. And we wait for God to bless. We wait for God to show his mercy. But his delay ought to increase our desire rather than make us quit. And the temptation is to quit. Um, Isaiah 30 says, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. The Lord waits to be gracious to you and exalts himself to show mercy to you. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Oh God, there is such a thing as holy waiting on God in prayer, yet in faith persisting in that prayer, persistently, as Elijah did seven times. There's a reason that Jesus said, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. And he implied what, what is implied and lies in those words is the continual asking, the continual seeking, and the continual knocking. And I could give you multiple illustrations of that from the New Testament in Jesus' dealings with those who came to him. He always responded to the ones who came again and again. God has a purpose in delaying his answers to our prayers. Keep praying. Keep persevering in prayer. The Lord always, and this is, you can take this home. Lord always gives what he has promised. No one who comes to me will be cast out. Jesus. He who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. God always gives what he has promised. The key is that he's promised. The last thing that I'd like for us to notice in terms of a lesson on prayer is the Lord's answer. As the Lord always gives what he has promised, the Lord sent rain. For three and a half years of no dew and no rain, God sent the blessing of rain. Verse 45, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. God had told Elijah that he was going to make it rain, but he didn't. And Elijah prayed. We've been watching in the morning during Sunday school uh, clips on various revivals telling the story of God's working in mighty ways in the history of the Christian church, causing these people to have a new hunger and to seek after spiritual things and uh, bringing unconverted people to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Again and again, what have we heard? That after long, persistent prayers for these things, God gave 
Let us be a people who believe in the absolute sovereignty of God. God has decreed whatsoever comes to pass. That is true. But he has also decreed that we would humble ourselves in fervent, in humble prayer before him, pleading for the blessings that he has promised. May God use the example of Elijah and all we have is that picture of him on the ground with his face between his knees bowed before almighty God pleading for the blessing of rain. We have that picture. May that inspire us. May that move us to be a people who pray fervently, humbly, in dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit that he would grant to us the blessings that he has promised in his holy word. Let us pray. We ask, O Lord our God, that you would teach us through Elijah's fervent prayer that we also might pray fervent for an outpouring of your power among us and that you, O Lord, would cause us to be those who do not give up but continue. Help us to continue in prayer. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our final hymn tonight is a hymn about prayer, uh, hymn number 518, Come, my soul, with every care. Jesus loves to answer prayer. The verse in there, large petitions, which we bring. Bring those large petitions to God. Don't be afraid to pray for big things. And so let's sing together this hymn, 
The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.